0: So I think we're wounded in relationship, which means we can be healed in relationship. And so that's why I love group therapy. And it is, right? The reason why if I was talking to a client who's a little bit nervous or even skeptical, you know, I'm like, it makes sense, right? Like if you have a lot of hurt in your past, like you probably don't wanna trust group, you know? And so I wouldn't just say, hey, oh, group's what you need. It's more like, I get it, it makes sense. But, you know, healing's where the pain is. Honestly, you have to go through it, and you can't avoid it. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
1: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey friends, today I get to introduce you to another one of our incredible on-site guides, the therapists who facilitate healing week in and week out in our workshop and intensive experiences. This week, Lindsay and I are joined by therapist Will Mooney. The three of us got into a really profound conversation about one of our favorite therapeutic modalities, experiential therapy. I actually love that when asked about the modalities, And the methods that he loves using with his clients, Will claims that every therapeutic modality is actually experiential. So you'll have to listen to this interview to understand what he means. Will shares how he got into the helping profession first as a pastor and later as a therapist after his own recovery journey. And we just had a really beautiful conversation. He also wraps up this conversation by agreeing to help us model experiential therapy, to bring it down and make it really real in real time as he leads Lindsay and I through an exercise. So you don't want to miss that. And the exercise actually uh, brought up a lot of emotions and feelings for both Lindsay and I. So I'm grateful for the way that he kindly walked us through this, and I can't wait for you to get a little bit of a glimpse of the experiential modality that so much of the work that we do at OnSite is grounded in. Without further ado, meet our friend, Will Mooney. Everyone, I am so excited to get to sit down today with one of our incredible OnSite guides, therapist Will Mooney. So thanks for joining us, Will. Thanks for having me. It's going to be so fun. We um, were just chatting a little bit before, and like I said, I have wanted to get to know you more. I think I have trusted you through the on-site grapevine for a long time, and so I'm excited for our audience to get to know you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, I've been enjoying checking up with the podcast and seeing who all is involved, and I'm grateful to be a part of it.
1: Awesome. Well, we know that you're a therapist and often at OnSite, we really try to make that distinction between being a human doing and a human being. So before mm-hmm. we really dive into the doing part of you, like who is Will, you as a human uh, being?
0: Great question. I'm so glad that you say that because I do tend to like just in circles introduce what you, myself as what I do, but who I am, I, I am a son, a husband, a uh, brother, a friend, a dad, and I. I love the work I get to do with my clients.
1: Yeah,
0: I love. I'm. Re- I feel very. My life is very full right now. So who I am as a being <laughs> is is very very pulled in all kinds of ways, but all things that at least hopefully I'm choosing and and really love and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoy. I enjoy. Being outside, I like to I like to run. I love playing Ultimate Frisbee. Like ah. the fact that it's October. I like <laughs> I cannot wait. I really when I used to work as a youth pastor for a while, we'd play we'd called October Alt and we'd play Ooh. Ultimate Frisbee every Sunday and I'm just I'm like craving that. Being outside and um
2: Oh so great. So
0: yeah, I love it. I like cooking. I enjoy
2: mm.
0: reading about things that I want to smoke on the grill and I'll probably read more about it than I actually do it.
2: Oh, tell me all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find it to look through them.
0: That's right. I that's exactly right. Oh, that looks good. I bet they'd spend a long time on that.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So,
0: yeah, um, that's a little about me.
2: Yeah, you kind of touched on something that I was curious about. What was hmm. your like pathway into becoming a therapist? You mentioned you were a youth pastor at some point.
0: Yep. The version of it, I like to tell part of it was just in doing my own therapy and my own recovery work. So I was working as a youth pastor and really enjoyed the work I was doing, but found that I was, you know, in addiction with my own sex addiction. I was, you know, just totally unhealthy, like just burning myself out. And I was like, Mm. this is not good. And so started seeing a therapist, started going to recovery meetings, started Getting a lot of benefit from that, and thought, man, like this is really life giving, and I want to bring this into the work I'm doing in the church. And so, I went to grad school pursuing ministry, but also getting a counseling degree at the same time. And wasn't sure how they were going to weave together, and I wanted them to come together. And mm-hmm. and then, um, so we had twins right at the end of my grad school time, which was uh, not a great time to start a counseling practice. That's when you wild. Tw- yes. Twins. And so I was like, I just need, okay, I'm going to go back into youth ministry. But I, when I started back at work and I was like, can I work towards licensure and counseling? Because I really love this. And they were so gracious to let me do that part-time for a while. Oh. And so I was working part-time as a therapist and full-time as a youth pastor And found that my favorite part of the week was getting to meet with my clients. And so mm-hmm. it took me about a year to really own that yeah. and not feel guilty for just leaving ministry and all the time I'd spent training and people had poured into me to say, okay, this is just what I love. And this is wh- the way I want to spend my time and vocation. And I can do those other things without getting paid for it or be part of my job. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. let's just do this part. So that's, that was maybe I started doing therapy, Full time, probably four years ago. Awesome. And I've just loved it.
2: And you're great at it. But I'd love to, I think a lot of people have like misconceptions about sex addiction and like Mm. it's something that's kind of like out there um, and even like the fact that you are a youth pastor and that's some part of your story. Like I'd love to hear a little bit more about that if you're comfortable talking about it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you say that, like, like just about my journey, where you want me to share about it as a thing?
2: Yeah, just about your journey, and even maybe defining it for the audience. Like, I think a lot of people, like, sex addiction as a label sounds really intense. Yeah. And so yeah. I, you know, it's like I think a lot of people, it, it sounds maybe intimidating as a term, and so just any any light you could bring to it would be thank, helpful. Oh, that
0: that's a like. Thank you for clarifying, Lindsay. Yeah. yeah. I uh, had a really hard time with that because you're right. It, it did feel like a label,
1: yeah. And it
0: took me probably a couple of years before I could say that without like the sh- the weighty shame of what toxic shame around it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what really helped me with that one just feeling like okay, it's it's not a sh- it's not a label. It's just about my relationship with mm-hmm. my sexuality. And any addiction is about my relationship with with some kind of process, which is a process addiction, or some kind of object—just this thing I take, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just have an unhealthy relationship with sex that I use it to alter moods, to deal with wounds, and so it, once I started seeing it in, like I did a intensive for myself during my recovery work that really helped me see it. He drew a continuum. So like we all have a relationship with sex. It's just sometimes you want to label it as an addiction or not. And just if it's not working for you, right? The way I'm Mm -hmm. relating with it is hurting myself and others. So call it an addiction, call it, I have an unhealthy intimacy relationship. So that helped me see it as not a black or white, I'm bad or good, but a relationship thing.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really helpful. Helpful context. Mm -hmm. and a framing of that like some of the language that some of our therapists at milestones have used of like addictions or attachments and i think even just like an unhealthy attachment when we think about that from that lens you know i think just that relationship aspect of it of like then it then it gives you permission to say i can form a healthier attachment to this i can move into a direction where i can do this Mm -hmm. healthily and engage in it because i think it's kind of like even one of the process addictions would be like food and so like How do you integrate sex as a part of your life the same way food has to be a part of your life if you have addictive tendencies or, you know, unhealthy relationship around that, too. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it was a journey for me.
2: Yeah. We did a webinar and then also had a podcast episode where we talked Mm -hmm. about recovery and just Mm. sort of the process of recovery and what the recovery journey has to offer everybody kind of Mm -hmm. like that. It's sort of this different way of thinking and it defines sobriety versus recovery and all these different things. And it was so helpful and eye-opening. just that even before I found onsite and did the living center program myself, like recovery was another one of those words that I felt like, Oh, like I don't, that's for other people, you know, Mm -hmm. and that in the process of doing therapy and going onsite, like I learned like, Oh, we're all have like recovery has something for, to offer us all. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great word. And I, I think of recovery less is about recovering from an, an addiction, but right. more about re- recovering who I'm made to be mm. so that I can give what I'm made to give, you know, and that's yeah. where that's the whole purpose, recovering my heart because there's things that happened to it. And then not only things that happened to it in my story, but things that I did with what happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was hurt and here's how I protected myself and I get stuck in those ways and, so recovery is such a bigger word. I really I'm glad that we're talking about it. And it sounds like you you all the way we talk about it on site really agrees with this too.
1: Yeah. What are some of like those tenets of your recovery journey? What has that looked like over the last, you know, however many years you've been kind of walking through that?
0: Yeah. For me, the journey has always been recovering basically my heart and where I get mm-hmm. stuck. So it, it's never felt like a rival, right? I feel like I'm yeah. always we were talking earlier about parenting, like, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. yep, here's a place where I need to do some work, you know, where I just, I shut down, I shut down my mm-hmm. heart, I freeze, I feel powerless. And then I, you know, escape with food or sex or, or just control, you know? So the journey for me, I mean, if I think about it as a story, mm-hmm. it first started with like not having a clue of what was going on inside of myself, right? Yeah. Not knowing what I was feeling, So the first part of the journey was connecting to me. Mm -hmm. And then once I got more connection to me and what I was feeling, it was like, okay, something's happening about my relationships. So like we had, so I had some great sobriety, got recovery, had a few years of that and then started leading recovery groups. And then we had our twins and (laughs) talk about what will rock your life and And so I relapsed and I was like, okay, something's going on. What is going on? Right. And so instead of like retreating in shame and going, I'm never going to get better. It was like, okay, what do I have to change in my recovery? It's like, I know, I know my story. I know how to do recovery. I could teach recovery, but Mm -hmm. what's going on is me. And it it really, what was happening was me and my wife needed to do some Mm -hmm. work. Right. There was a sense of connection that I didn't know how to have with her because of things in me and things in her. So we started couples counseling and that was huge. Yeah, and that was a huge part of getting recovery and saying, "Oh, I can reach out to her instead of isolate and withdraw or run to something." Mm-hmm. You know, and so there' another layer of of growth was going on there, and so you know that that happened, and then probably in the last several years, the more I've done more therapy, um, the more powerless I feel um, <laughs> because I can't fix my clients, and yeah. I feel like they're sitting across from me going, "Will." Why, why, like, why aren't we're here? Did you just fix me? Let's do will this. Will you just do the things? Like that's why we came, right? So I, I feel that pressure. And so it's a different thing that's happened for me now in the last several years is like, Oh, part of my recovery, I've got to not only work in a relationship with myself or others, but also my relationship with God. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's part of what I'm made for. And, and so I've had to just explore that. And that's been a process of doing a lot of spiritual direction and mm-hmm. really surrendering to, like I picture now Jesus in the room with me and my clients and them being their own process and their own relationship and their own growth and me not being powerful over it, right? And me just trying mm. to hold the space and trusting there's somebody else bigger than them that is with them and guiding them in that journey. So that's helped me in my own kind of seeing recovery is bigger than just me in this way I process and medicate with sex, mm. but nor me and being open to what it means to be human, which is yeah. connected to myself with others and with God and, and willing, willing to sit in that with all the feels, <laughs> which is a yeah. lot.
1: That's yeah. super interesting. When you said mm-hmm. spiritual direction, do you feel like you are doing that for your clients or you yourself have sought out spiritual direction?
0: Good question. Um, I have sought out spiritual direction. Yeah.
1: So what does that look like as someone who is a therapist? Cause we've, I've always like been intrigued by spiritual direction. Like how do you yeah. find a spiritual director? Uh, what pulled you into that process and what does that look like on an ongoing basis? Would you just let me in on that?
0: <laughs> I'd love to. That's a great question. Um, so I was pulled into it. I didn't oh. seek it out. It found me. So <laughs> I had a very, I'm so grateful. I had a mentor that was my cross country coach in high school, Bill Delvo. And he, he was my Bible teacher too for years. And so he was great. And he goes, Hey, well, I'm doing this thing called spiritual direction at Lipscomb. It's a, it's a, graduate program. He's like I need a guinea pig. Do you want to be my guinea pig and and just kind of meet with me once a month and I'll practice the stuff I'm learning on you. I was like I trust you. I don't know about that, but I'll trust you. So that's how I fell into it. And that was maybe 7 years ago, 8 years ago. So I met with him once a month and just kept doing it where the way what I describe as what spiritual direction is is it feels like couples counseling with me and God
1: where it's like what's
0: happening with you? as you relate to him, what's going mm-hmm. on, how do you think he's experiencing you as you sit with him? It's like just doing all that. And there's a lot of silence involved and slowing down. And it's, it's been really great. That's, that's a short cool. answer. There's a lot to say about it.
2: But. Another thing that you said that caught my interest was sort of joking about the idea that, you know, like a lot of clients come in and their expectation is that you'll fix them. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, Oh gosh, that is true. Like, a lot of times when we enter into therapy or whatever the thing is, we're just looking for like a quick fix a lot of times or somebody else Mm -hmm. to like step in and solve our problems. And so I'd love to hear about like from a therapist perspective, like how should someone that's interested in therapy like approach that? And what what is a realistic expectation for like what a therapist can provide? Mm. You obviously can't fix us all. No, nope, <laughs> not just you. you. I mean, anyone. <laughs>
0: I'm really grateful for that. Um, you had two questions in there. I want to make sure I address both because those are great questions. So, if somebody's looking for counseling, and they're thinking about this this feeling of like, hey, boy, I'm paying for this thing. I'm 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 taking the time for this. I'm making the effort to go to the go to this relationship or this maybe intensive or on site or seeing a counselor what am I getting if they can't fix me, you know? And so what I think is happening is what, at least what I'm hoping to do for clients is create the space for them to, in the safety, right. And the curiosity, um, in a relationship that they may not have had before, where a lot of relationships we have are people trying to tell us what we need to do to get better, you know, Uh or, or shaming us for not getting better, you know, just do the more stuff, you know, but if I hold curiosity with my clients and openness about their experience and how they're relating to their experience in their world, they begin to see it from a, and what this is not my term, but from an adult consciousness rather than a mm-hmm. child consciousness. So in a lot of times in, I, I think about, Hey, let, help me, let's help you relate to what you're talking about. Let's say in your marriage Instead of feeling like a victim, which is what it's like as a child, right? You're powerless over your environment. Mm-hmm. But an adult who is not powerless over their environment, helping a client see how they're relating to their marriage in a way that they feel powerless, but say, hey, it's like it sounds like you see yourself as, a, you can't control your spouse, right? But how are you relating to that experience, right? Are you telling yourself you should be able to be in control? Are you blaming yourself for it? Like, what agency do you have, Right. And so my curiosity with the clients, with the clients I sit with, with people I sit with, and the, my willingness to help them look at their own responsibility for themselves is what I provide for them, which is helping them take back really their lives and recover themselves rather than just looking to me to give them the answers or blaming everybody else in their life that it's not better. Now, answer your question, Lindsay?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, that was great.
2: Yeah,
1: It's just a, a kind of like posture going into it i see like curiosity and a willingness to engage with your story and Mm -hmm. yeah i think build that trust yeah what are some of the modalities that you have particularly kind of gravitated towards in your practice and what does that look like for you i know everyone has their own little flavor but what's what are some of the things that you really enjoy
0: um i think everything is experiential so Mm. i love that that's what we do it on Say more about that I just lo- cool. Cause I tried to change myself through information. Mm-hmm. I've worked hard. I got a master's in divinity and a master's in counseling and it didn't work, you know? <laughs> like, so I, I, and I've read everything I could read and for recovery. I could, and I couldn't think my way out of it. And so I think we, we don't change through information. We change through experience mm-hmm. and through relationship. And so I try to think about every modality as, as experiential and very relational. So some of those look like with individuals, you know, sh- instead of t- you tell me about what's going on, I'd love for you to show it to me. Mm. So I use parts cards, I use pictures, I use scarves, um, images. Another thing I've done is I do brain spotting, which I enjoy. Um, mm. I think brain yeah. spotting is, is powerful. I've had some of the most impactful experiences in my own therapy doing brain spotting for myself. And in couples therapy, I do emotionally focused therapy, which is an experiential mm, yeah. type of therapy. And then I've been learning about well, obviously psychodrama. It's very experiential. Mm-hmm. I love to do that. I really, I really like it. I, it makes me. I want to do group all the time. I love group therapy. I think it's. <laughs> oh. I think it's the jam. And um, the challenge is doing psychodrama and those things with just me with clients in my office. But whenever I can get a group, I have a couple of groups I lead every week, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'm learning about a new model, which I just, a friend of mine introduced me last year and I did the training this past year. It's called NARM, Neuro Affective Relational Model. And it has been really cool. It's worked sp- specifically with people dealing with developmental or complex trauma, which truthfully I think is what we all have. And so that's been great. Basically, it's it's really client focused. It's really mm-hmm. slows it down and it's very relational And also somatic in a way that I think is super important, like helping them track their body as they're talking and and you really contract with clients. So you ask them what they want rather than me telling them what they think they want or, but you really just stay with them. So that's been really fun. A lot to learn in that world, but it's a newer model.
1: Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Will Mooney one of my favorite parts was that we got to pull the curtain back on the on-site experience and our group workshops. If you've been listening to the podcast for very long, you may have heard us talk about our life-changing experiential workshops and maybe even the workshop that our podcast gains its name from, the Living Centered Program. With isolation, disconnection, and loneliness at an all-time high, OnSite is committed to curating world-class group workshop experiences to help people connect to themselves and others in transformational ways. As Will says in this interview, because we are so often wounded in community, profound healing actually happens in the context of safe community. And that is what we curate and facilitate week in and week out at OnSite. These experiences guided by the top clinical minds in the field, our workshops really do extend the length and depth of healing work in ways that are not always afforded in other settings. If you're ready to learn more, head to onsiteworkshops.com for a full listing of our experiences. We just released our 2023 dates, or you can give a call to our admissions team at 1-800-341-7432. I feel like there's so many directions that I want to take from that. Brainspotting in mm-hmm. general is a really interesting topic. And we did, um, for one of our limited series, Treating Trauma, we did a whole episode on brain spotting and basically just has like, this feels really woo-woo. Um, and the science behind it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really cool. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit about group one, because that's something that we specialize at Onsite is that we love do great. group workshops and you come out and help lead that. I remember personally going into the group experience and doing a living centered and thinking, there is no way I'm going to get anything out of this. Like a little bit, you know, kind of had that doubt. But what I have found from group again and again and again is that I get as much healing out of watching someone else have a breakthrough as I did my own. And I think it's different than in other group contexts where you're kind of sitting there just waiting for your turn to talk where you settle into this process and you're learning so much from other people talking. And I almost like didn't talk. So what would you say to someone who feels intimidated by the group process? Because I think that's one of the biggest barriers is that we feel nervous to engage in that type of process when it is so effective.
0: Oh yeah. I tell people this, I think this is not my quote. I wish I knew who said this, but I think <laughs> we're all, most all of our wins, all of our wins, most all of them, come from relationship, So I think we're wounded in relationship, which means we can be healed in relationship. And so that's why I love group therapy is it's, Mm -hmm. and it is right. The reason why if I was talking to a client who's, you know, a little bit nervous or even skeptical, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, it makes sense, right? Like if you have a lot of hurt in your past, like you probably don't want to trust group, you know? And so I wouldn't just say, Hey, Oh, groups, what you need. It's more like, I get it makes sense. But, you know, healing's where the pain is. Honestly, you have to go through it and you can't avoid it. And so, but the great thing is the group dynamics that happen is when it, when it's being facilitated by a therapist who, who does it, they, they get that and, you know, and they, they know how to, you know, really sync with the group and slow it down and really make sure that everybody's connected before you take risks. And so, it is you're not going to get pushed into something you're not ready for. Like you have full consent, right? And you can have boundaries the whole time. I tell clients that all the time. It's like we're not going to. You can say no. Everything's an invitation, you know. So there is so much safety in it. And yes, it is the it is the open sea. You know, it is where <laughs> it happens. But it's really powerful.
2: Yeah, I think one of my hesitations about group wasn't as much like the confidentiality piece or like the you know exposure within my story, but it was more like, hey, it seems like it would be a, it wouldn't be as productive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like as a it would not be as productive use of my time. I don't know if mm-hmm. I said that right. <laughs> but No, totally. But that, you know, you're like, oh, I'm in a group for a day with six people, that you divide it by six, the therapy time by six, and then that's how much therapy I'm getting. But the reality of it was so different than that. I realized that I learned so much in group because I'm not a verbal processor and a lot of times even like unlocking my own journey it happened when I'd hear somebody else tell their story and I would be like oh my gosh I feel that way or that happened to me and Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how many uh, pieces of my own story like fell into place because of what happened in the group that I -hmm. would have never gotten there on my own.
0: Man, that's well said. It's
2: just so interesting. You know, it's counterintuitive, I think, for in our society that's so individualized yeah, that we actually are kind of, like, better together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even in our most vulnerable and darkest moments, like, what... Mm -hmm we can create in a group in terms of being, feeling known and valued and lovable in spite of Mm -mm. that. Those aren't like lessons that you can learn fully when you're just in an individual session. Like you need other people that you're not, that are also kind of in the process to be Mm -hmm. those people
0: for you. Yeah. We can't, we can't see ourselves for who we are perfectly right. We need mirrors And in a room, you have all these other mirrors that can help you see yourself. And then you see them and you see yourself in them. Mm -hmm. That's all so spot on. And I was reminded of this recently. So my wife has done some of her own group work recently and they did some psychodrama and she came back and she goes, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was doing this to you. I played somebody's spouse in this drama and this is what I do to you. And she was like, she was not there to work on our marriage. But this because somebody asked her to play a role, something about her was able to hold that space in that relationship that reminds her of how she shows up in our marriage. Mm. And she came back and she was like, I'm sorry, I do this thing to you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I didn't even have words to put to that. Like, thank you. Like so you just get these gifts that you weren't probably weren't planning on, you know, yeah. and and it's powerful.
2: Is there anybody like when you think about group therapy, are there instances where it's not a good fit? And that's a good question. Yes.
0: Yes. Great question. Yeah. And I've, I've found this sometimes the hard way. A lot of times people can't contain in themselves a lot of the chaos that's going on. Yeah, You know, mm. like they have so much, and usually it's because something has blown up in their home or in their family where they're coming into some group work and it's like, I just can't even focus on this activity because there's so much present stress happening in my mental space that I can't, it's almost like I can't put a bookmark here and be here yeah, uh, with you. So I get it that that happens. And so, you know, those are clients that, you know, get into group because they think it's great. And then they're like, I don't, I can't focus right now because this is too much chaos. So I think that's one of those moments where it's good to just have an intensive or have focused space.
1: I think one of the things that I loved about the group experience was that there were these people who had no context for one another outside of, you know, this really beautiful space. And it feels almost like you can't recreate it. Right. I never like I have stayed in touch with my group, but it's just not the same as those six days when you're together. Mm -hmm. How do we start to, though? We always say, you can't take onsite with you, but you can be onsite to the world. That's one of the little phrases that we say. The world might not mm-hmm. feel like onsite to you, but you can feel like onsite to the world. And so how do we start to find spaces to practice those skills that maybe we learned in a group therapy context in the real world and create safe community? Because I feel like that's one of the things that I have felt a void in of, I learned this really intense way to share and be vulnerable and lean in and hold space with people. Now, what do I do with that?
0: I think in naming the challenge of that is super important. Like, I just wish we could just like camp there. Cause, because it is really discouraging when you get so much connection and depth with relationship and then you leave and you're like, you kind of almost have this judgment or contempt for everybody. Like, why can't you be what my friend and group was, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and so you just have to acknowledge that it's something other. Right.
1: Mm, yeah. And,
0: and the word courage, a friend of mine defines it as being willing to be vulnerable again. And oh, so mm. I think that is a what I would say is like, hey, it is going to be hard when you go back into your normal schedule. And you've probably, maybe not you talking to, you, I do this. Like I've set up out of my own unhealthiness, I set up relationships already that aren't supporting me the way my group supported me. So I've got to look mm. at those, right? In yeah. the way I've already set up these relationships in an unhealthy way. So be willing to say, it probably, they may not change, but you could take risks, but you might have to have courage to do something radically different, right? But it yeah. is a two, two degree to say, okay, who is the person in my circle that I feel like I'm willing to take this risk with? And I'm just going to step into that today. And I'm going to keep trying to step into that. Because it, really, it is really hard.
2: Um, yeah, I, I realized in some of my relationships, Like the way that you put that, like help me think through like an onsite, like you're given time to talk, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. the time that you talk about your problem and your issue. And I feel like when, you know, in real life (laughs) at home, what I'm really bad at, like, sort of taking the space to talk about myself or to like bring people into a problem I'm experiencing. Um, I like generally want people to like come and find me, you know, like I want Mm -hmm. people to like come ask or like them to create the space for that. And so I just have like had to do my own work around like Mm -hmm. showing up and being more forthcoming. With like the good things and the bad. But the way that you phrased that, I was like, that is, it's so different. Like I, I wish that my friendships were set up like groups so that I got my time, you know? Right. Yeah. And it was just understood. And then everyone got equal amounts of time.
0: Right. Which is what an ideal parent would do. Right. Yeah. Like a group leader, (laughs) ideal parents say, okay, I'm going to make sure everybody's (laughs) needs are met here. Right. And that's awesome. But we have to become our own parents for ourselves. And say, hey, I need to, yeah, like you said, I do the same thing. Like, I I tend to create, no shocker here, I tend to create relationships in which I'm the caretaker, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so I have to be willing to, to work at pursuing friendships where they are willing to make space for me and I have to ask for it, right? Like, I have mm-hmm. to be like, hey, Grant, let's go on a run this week and I'm going to share with you X, Y, and Z because this is something going on. Whereas the, that relationship with, with, say, Grant, for example, is already set up in the way I tend to like it set up, where I'm usually listening to him, you know, and asking about him. So I have to be willing to risk it for myself yeah. and be the adult, you know, and it's tough.
1: I have found in my own life I also like to be the caretaker, but I think it's more like I like to be perceived as the strong one and, like, you can come to me, I'm strong, and you don't really need it. But I have in the last few years watched myself gravitate towards like Enneagram twos, like the helper people, because they are the people that won't let me skirt out of it. Like Mm. keep coming and they'll keep asking. And I found that some of the best relationships in my life are those people who don't let me off the hook, where I like, maybe they're, you know, in other relationships, people are giving me the space to talk. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Let me deflect back to you. And those people, you know, don't let me do that. So I think there's a balance there (laughs) of needing those type of people. And I also and can meet them in a different way and love them in a different way than uh, I do in other relationships. But it's just a, I love how you intentionally said like, Hey Grant, I'm coming. I want to run. And I want to talk about this, like really being clear with your needs. That's so courageous and scary.
0: It's hard. It is. So I'm an Enneagram too. Yeah. And so I will resent you, but won't tell you that you're not caring (laughs) for my needs. And so I have to be, my, my resentment is kind of my heads up that I'm not being an adult and taking care of myself. And I'm, just mm. walking around like young will would do, mm-hmm. um, and the way I got care, right? As a boy, the yeah. way I was affirmed it was i'll I'll be your friendliest best mm-hmm. friend, and that's how I matter. And that just doesn't work anymore.
1: Mm. Yeah. Kathleen Murphy, one of our uh, clinical directors on our episode about recovery, said, "I don't have the luxury of resentment. And she was talking about how in her recovery journey, resentment is a trap for her, and it's a signal that like hey i'm I'm in the dangerous territory. Um, and so mm-hmm. I love that you said that, like, my resentment is a signal to me. Like I've got something to address.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: That's good.
0: Yeah. And it connected back to the addiction piece. Like
1: mm-hmm. I
0: didn't, I was so uncomfortable with feeling resentment. So that's when I would go and act out, right. I couldn't mm-hmm. let myself sit with that feeling. And now it's like, okay, let let's, let's deal with that. And now I've got to be willing to be more aware of what I feel because I'm not medicating it. And yeah. now the recovery looks more like, okay, dealing with what that feeling is and asking for what I need.
1: So good. I love how you talk about so every modality is experiential, that there's an experiential piece and a relational piece to that. And so, in preparation, I asked you if you would be willing to kind of model what experiential looks like, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, just something that Lindsay and I will be the We will be the guinea pigs. We'll lean in and give the gift of going second um, because we talk a lot about this modality and it's kind of this general experiential therapy and we're known for that. Um, But I would love to make it practical for our audience today.
0: Here's a thought I've had. So one of the things I do with my group is as we're getting to know each other, right? I'm getting to know you all a little bit more. Um, We can, instead of talking about ourselves, um, we can kind of take the eye of another and call this, this is an exercise we all probably have done if you've been on site called the angel eyes. Yeah. And so introducing what I'll, I'll do, or I can start it. And if y'all want to do it as well, introducing me from a different perspective, right? From, I'll do it from Grant because I've already mentioned Grant mm-hmm. and telling you about me. And so the way I want to set it up is if I'm doing experiential with somebody, I, I think about, Hey, this exercise where you're speaking from another person in your life that's close to you, what's the thing I want them to kind of be working on? So for if if this person has a lot of shame, so I'll set up like, hey, I want you to introduce yourself as this person close to you, but in a way of what is good about you, what's beautiful about you, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we get caught, like naturally clients and probably a lot of us tend to to focus on the negative, right? And Mm -hmm. so whatever we focus on is where we're going to go. Wherever I'm looking is where I'm going. And so I want to practice this exercise of focusing on what's good and beautiful about myself and doing it. It's harder to do it straight on. Like my name's Will and I like, you know, this and that, but, it, or this is good. So it's easier for us to kind of roll reverse and do it from a different mm. place. So the exercise would be that. Um, yeah. So I'll, if you want, I can start and I'll do it yeah. um, as Grant. And I'm Great. going to tell you what, what I like about Will. Okay. Uh, It's so funny, Grant's probably going to hear this and be like, "Will, what are you (laughs) doing? Hi, my name's Grant. I've known Will since he was in fourth grade and he and I met, we ran, we really, really developed our friendship close when we ran cross country together in high school. And one thing I love about Will is, well, we have the same birthday, which is kind of fun. I'm a year older than him, which is pretty cool. I hold that over him sometimes. (laughs) Um, But one thing I really like about him is he, he really does want to get to know me. um, And he does make a lot of intentionality about our friendship. And even when I'm sharing with him, I I know that yes, he's probably got a lot going on, but he's willing to make space for me. And I really need that a lot of times. And he and I did, uh, have done a lot of group work together. And when we do groups together, I'm very aware of like, the fact that he's willing to lead and step into a lot of vulnerability and that helps me be more vulnerable. And yeah, I've really enjoyed my friendship with Will. I like going on runs with him still. So good. So yeah, that's a try. A little step into something different. If you guys want to try it, what I would say is just, so tell us who the person is. Tell us Mm -hmm. maybe one thing about your relationship where you first met and then something that they love about you.
1: All right. Lindsay, do you want me to give you the gift of going third? I'll go third. Perfect. Okay. All right. Uh, the first person that I thought of, I'll just go with that one because it's the first one that popped into my head. So, okay. uh, Well, I am Sybil. I am Mackenzie's mother-in-law. I like to say mother-in-love because mother-in-law just doesn't seem very um, close, and we're very close. Um, that's something that I prayed really hard for. I know that she did. And I, what I love about Mackenzie is that she's just really kind, Um, and she is intentional in the way that she pursues relationship with people. I love how she loves my son. I love uh, how she loves my granddaughters, and I have loved that we are friends and that she has invested in our relationship, and she has been intentional with getting to know me and being a part of our family and taking opportunities to lean into hard things when our family is not always the easiest to be a part of. And so she is someone that I look up to and someone that I am just really grateful to have in my corner as one of my geese, I like to say. So, mm. Thanks, you it. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it hard. you're like, I want, like you were saying, it's so much easier to talk about the things that you're good at as someone else mm. because I couldn't say a lot of those things about myself. So, yeah, yeah that's really I noticed that. Yeah. A weird exercise. So anyway, mm-hmm. Lindsay? Oh. This is not fun to do on a
2: podcast. It's not. No, no, it's not.
1: <laughs>
2: it's so funny. That, like, it's so goofy that this feels so vulnerable. So mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. It's hard to talk that. about
0: ourselves in a positive way, isn't it? Yeah, and, totally. And it, it's tough. Yeah, I'm with you.
2: I'm going to introduce myself from the vantage point of my 10-month-old named Ben. And he can't Stop talk. Stop it. He can't Sweet. talk. But if he had words to say. Um, yeah. So I'm Ben. I'm 10 months old. And my mom was very brave and that she chose to bring me into the world and already emotional. Um, mm-hmm. I know that she fought really hard for me. She labored really hard for me. And she will continue to do that my whole life. And I. I'm so grateful for her and that even though she's got lots of different things pulling her in different directions that I know that she really fights to make time for me and to make me feel loved and, uh, cared for, not just with her, but with other people too. So. Mm. Thanks. So true of you. Thanks guys. Yeah. Made me cry on the podcast. (sighs) Oh, they
1: made it's me cry crazy. on the podcast. I was like, stop. As soon as your voice started cracking, I was like, I'm
0: not going to be able to make it. Mm. oh, so. uh, thank y'all for, yeah, that's so, it's just something. I'm not even sure how wide that is, but it, for me, it just exposes the places mm-hmm. that I feel vulnerable and want to be known, but afraid to be known. And and I think it, it's just a gift to be able to do that and kind of reverse and say, like, yeah, like, this is maybe something I got to work on or need something I need to see and talk about more or something beautiful about me I missed. and Yeah. So thank you all for going there with me.
1: It's good. Thank you for leading yeah. us through it. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite things that we do at Onsite after we do some kind of pre- experiential exercises, people share like, I saw this in what you shared because I also, yes. and I really felt that I was, you know, in both of the ways that you guys were introduced through your angel exercise, I thought about like, Oh, I know what it's like to have a friendship with someone who has seen you through lots of different iterations and seasons of yourself, and I think that's so beautiful that, you know, you have grown together. Um, and I know what that's mm-hmm. like to grow with someone in ways that you didn't even know you needed to grow together in. And with Lindsay, like I know what it's like to feel like you pour your whole self out for someone and for someone who isn't able to talk or acknowledge you in that, mm-hmm. but to feel so intrinsically like have so many things pulling, but you are at the center of that. And I love how you reflected that from Ben's voice. Thank you for sharing both of you. Yeah. That's one of
0: my favorite parts of experiential exercises is when we do reflect and hear each other, there's something about what I, and I've, I, I learned this from Mary B who did a lot of training with me and I did with her really. She would always say, you got to do a way you relate because it's something happens when you hear somebody else relating to your experience or your world that just totally brings connection and Mm -hmm. heals shame. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, even as you were saying that, Mackenzie, I could feel that in myself, like, Oh, you feel seen. And that's, that's good. You know, that really is beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Will. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have been so grateful for this time that we've gotten to spend together. Um, One of the questions that we sometimes end with is what is a practice that keeps you centered? And so Mm. I'd love to just kind of pose that up to you of uh, what is a practice that keeps will centered and uh, pursuing a centered life.
0: Oh, that's good. I I have to get up early to get that in, and yeah, I take it, it's usually at least fifteen minutes every morning to slow down and either it's a variety of things, but basically the purpose of it is connect to what's going on inside of me, and maybe I'll journal. Maybe I'll just pray and then reflect on what's true, right? And so I'll, I'll either read scripture. Uh, the last two weeks, I've been listening to the same song over and over again, and that's been part of that practice for me. And uh, but just ha- having that that fifteen minutes at least of just silence and connection to myself uh, with with a cup of coffee and hopefully my dog and even my wife next to me. And some peanut butter toast if I can find it. That, those mm. are like win-win. So that's a great question.
1: Are you a crunchy or creamy peanut butter person? Gosh,
0: I am a Jif crunchy person. It's the best. in
1: okay. particular, love I love it.
0: Yep, <laughs> um, cre-
2: creamy, all cre- creamy, creamy all the way.
0: Creamy, I know it depends on what it's on, but
2: yeah, man, I like toast. That
1: bite.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good. Sourdough. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on the sourdough.
1: Sourdough and cookie butter is a, a drizzle. Ooh,
0: now that's some extra love. I like that. Really? Like mm-hmm. or, or Nutella. Do you ever go to Nutella? Ugh, that would Gosh. feel a little
2: indulgent for breakfast. Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: I would do Are it. we okay? I'm okay with that. <laughs> Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
2: When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, We deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.